Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. As we consider this gift that uh, Pastor Billy just read about, let me ask you a question. What is your most precious gift? You might need to think about that for a moment. Um, We've all probably received many gifts, but what what sticks out in your mind and and why? Um, I I remember as 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 a boy, a young boy, somewhere between the age of two and three, on Christmas morning, um, getting up early and walking into the living room of the small house we had in San Antonio, Texas, and there was a puppy, a little Sheltie under the tree. And he became my best friend for 13 years, a formidable year, actually no, 15 years of my life. Um, Handsome was his name. Actually his legal name was Sir Blazing Winthrop Miles, but we called him Handsome for good reason. And he was a, he was a great dog. And, and a few months later, my little sister was born. And so my grandparents came and they were excited to meet their new granddaughter, uh, but they didn't want to kind of um, uh, give me the shaft or leave me out or make me jealous. So they, they stopped first when they walked into the house and said, hey, Troy, they gave me a hug. And they said, is, 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 there, is there something special here that you'd like to show us? And I said, no. And, and, and then, they, then they said, well, is there like a, you know, a, a new person living here at the house that you'd like to introduce us to? And I said, oh, yes. And so, so I went and I, and I got my dog to show him. Well, that was a special gift. And I love my sister too, by the way. I've come to appreciate her as the years have gone on. But maybe, um, maybe you have <clears throat> uh, had a, a, a special gift that someone gave you. Maybe it was an engagement ring. Or maybe it was a, a family heirloom, or, or maybe something that somebody very special made for you. I, I have in, in my office and in my bedroom uh, uh, a wood clock that my grandfather made for me, uh, and that has become more special as the years have gone by, as I've been living without him. Well, you know, personal relationships are often a part of valued gifts, right? Uh, the fact that somebody loved you enough to spend the money or, or the time to, to make something or to take something that was special to them and give that, that personal relationship, that personal connection only adds values to gifts. And so this story is about what I believe was Jesus's most precious gift that he received during his life on this earth from a friend. And it was from a woman named Mary of Bethany. Now, now, by the way, there are several Marys that we read about. Of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, Mary of Magdalene, or Mary Magdalena, but this was not those. This is Mary of Bethany, the sister of both Lazarus and Martha. And so let's first look at the context behind this story. Um, the context here, we, we looked at last week, and that is that the religious leaders had just signed a death warrant for Jesus. And so Jesus had retreated with his disciples into the wilderness village of Ephraim for safety. But now, about a week before his crucifixion, Jesus and his band of disciples walk the dusty roads from Ephraim back to Bethany, which is right next door to Jerusalem, where he joins a celebration dinner for Lazarus' return to life. 
So you remember that the week before last, we looked at the incredible miracle of Jesus bringing a dead man back to life, right? And, but it kind of ended abruptly. Like we thought you'd see a party. Well, well, now we see the party. That's what's going on right here. The party celebrating Lazarus's return. And so let me read verses one and two again with those thoughts in mind. Six days before the Passover, and you remember what happens the day after the Passover, right? That would be the crucifixion. And so here we have about a week before Jesus dies. Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Now, just a couple notes. Bethany was a village about two miles from Jerusalem, just south of the Mount of Olives. And so you've got all these people at this, uh, getting ready for the Passover, who are wondering, is he coming, is he not? You've got, you've got the, the, the leadership of the country plotting for his death, to kill him, a uh, uh, death warrant out there for him. And so here he comes in and enjoys this feast, a celebration feast with his friends. And, and Mark actually gives us another detail in his account of the story, and that is that, that they were actually not at Mary and Martha's house, but they were dining in the home of Simon the leper. Okay? Now, clearly, Simon was not a current leper. Um, there's a lot of reasons why that would have not been a good idea. So I'm presuming Simon is a former leper whom Jesus had healed. Okay? Uh, Martha here, you remember Martha's spiritual gift is service. So she's serving at this dinner party. And I'm sure Mary was right side, right along her sister serving. Okay? And, and, you know, one pastor explained, so that we don't minimize Martha's gift, that her gift to Jesus was perspiration instead of perfume, okay? And God bless those who serve. You might have noticed Billy wearing a yellow shirt. We've got some yellow shirts and a couple people maybe wearing blue shirts here. And they're planning to go serve Jesus right after the service by serving hurricane victims um, just a few hours to the east of us. That's what they're going to do this week. Go out there and probably cut some trees off houses still that are still there, uh, and a bunch of other things. Uh, serving. Let's never minimize the, the gift of perspiration or service. But one thing's for sure here, here at this dinner party, and that is that Jesus hung around some interesting people, okay? Um, technically speaking, Jesus is now an outlaw. So you have outlaw Jesus having dinner with a pair of sisters, a former leper, and a former dead guy. He's also got his disciples with him. And let's remember that, that he chose a diverse lot, okay? And it includes treasonous Judas Iscariot, who is about to betray him. And so they're having a good time together, celebrating Lazarus's resurrection. So imagine sitting next to Lazarus. I mean, imagine having spent a couple years with Jesus. What kinds of questions would you have asked? You know, Jesus, we see, sometimes has a habit of answering things kind of metaphorically, like you want a clear answer. Sometimes you get kind of a vague answer, you're not sure what he means. Maybe you get a parable, right? So now you got a chance to sit next to just a dude who's been dead for four days, like legit dead. Okay, we're not talking about, you know, uh, uh, an out-of-body experience in, a, in a, you know, an operating room or something like that. We're talking about a guy who 
his soul has been departed for four days. All right, so imagine that. You know, imagine Ken Bandy here. Imagine he died for four days and God brought him back to life, right? And you're having dinner with him. What do you think you would talk about? Sports? You would probably have some questions, right, for Ken. Like, what does heaven look like, Ken? Um, maybe if you're really, really smart, you'd say something like, just tell me, blow by blow, everything you experienced for the last four days, right? But are there not questions you might ask? Like, did you see any dogs there? I would probably ask that, right? Can you, Ken, did you recognize people? I, I imagine he did. What, what did they look like? How old were they? Did you see David and Moses? Did Adam and Eve, by any chance, you notice, have belly buttons? I wasn't supposed to ask that, by the way. My wife told me last night we were having our family devotions, and I threw that question out, and she was like, don't say that. And I probably should have. Sorry about that, the belly button thing. But did they? You know, I've kind of wondered that, right? First human beings, no umbilical cords. Um, could you fly when you're up there or wherever in the dimension you were, right? I got questions. I bet Peter was sitting there, you know, just nailing poor Lazarus with questions. So you talk about a diverse group of people and for sure some interesting conversations going on at that dinner party, right? Now let me say a word here. And um, I am intending to put a little pebble in some of your shoes here, but I really do hope for selfish reasons you don't get mad at me, okay? Um, diverse lot. You know, there's something called the homogenous principle, right? Where the idea that, that similar people attract some of people like to hang out together, right? I do not believe Jesus bought into the homogenous principle. He hung out with a diverse group of people, right? And frankly, it's more interesting. So let me talk about life groups for a moment, okay? Um, some of you are going to be like right on, and some of you may get a little bit mad at me, all right? But you know what? We have, a, we have about 20 life groups in our church, and, and, and we have all kinds, right? We've got some full of young people, some just busting at the seams with kids, some with folks who frankly don't want kids in their life groups, okay? Many are open, some are closed. And I just don't know that Jesus likes that word, closed life group, okay? And I can kind of understand the reason. Uh, some of you have been in a life group for like 20 years with the same people, and you love these people. And you share in your heart, and if someone new shows up, it might be kind of hard to be vulnerable and open right? But let me just put a pebble in your shoe, okay? We have new folks coming into our church, and Pastor Robbie is, is trying to connect people with different life groups, and I, this breaks my heart, but we just had a, a, a family who joined our church like less than two months ago who just left our church and went to another church because we couldn't find a life group that would let them in. So if you have a closed life group, I, I urge you to stop and ask, is that what Jesus would do? Is that the kind of situation we saw Jesus in, okay? Was it inclusive or, or was he willing to, to maybe take a hit to make a place open for the new person? Just think about that, right? Maybe if you're an, maybe if you're an older group of people and, and you really enjoy hanging out, but you're like, yeah, we love our grandkids, but we kind of like the time without kids. You know what? We do have a really hard time sometimes finding life groups that are open for uh, families with young kids. And, and you know what they need is the wisdom of people who've like walked this road. They need your wisdom. So again, I'm, I'm trying to put a pebble in your shoe with love, with love for you, 
and for the whole church. And I pray that you would pray about that at least. Okay, so I'll, I'll get off my little soapbox here, back into the text. If, if that made you a little uncomfortable, maybe it should. Okay, just, just think about that for a little bit and ask the Lord to show you what you, what you should, should do. But maybe here, back to the room, um, I was trying to kind of disarm you with the belly button thing, by the way, so I could say all that. Um, but back, 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 to, back, back to the room, right? Um, and, and they have just maybe finished dinner. And maybe the, that's when the conversation gets more interesting, right? Because usually during dinner, there's lots of side conversations, and now, now you get to kind of bring everything together. And Mary leaves the room for a moment, and she returns with her gift of love for Jesus. So let's talk about the gift. We've talked about the context. Let's talk about the gift that we see here in verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Can you imagine that? The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is the meat of our sermon here, and there's a lot here uh, to unpack as we consider this gift. But first, I, I want to point our attention to a parallel passage where Mark tells us the same story, but he adds a couple details that John uh, doesn't include. But e each of them provide a few details that when you put them together, it gives you a more full picture of this story, of this gift. So, so Mark tells us in Mark 14, verse 3, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, which we just talked about, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So Mark gives us this additional detail that she broke the alabaster flask open and poured it over his head. Now John tells us it was Mary, he gives us her identity. And he tells us how she also anointed his feet with it, and he actually, she actually wiped his feet with her hair. And the smell of this perfume was so strong that it filled the house with the fragrance, with its fragrance. Now, now Pastor Matt Carter writes regarding this smell of the fragrance. Love has an undeniable fragrance. And when you smell it, you want to linger there. You can't get enough. Mary's gift helps us catch the faint whiff of love and leaves us longing for more. Now that's us. I don't think it was faint for them. They got that. They smelled that perfume, right? We, we wait for the day. We wait for the day when the fragrance of love fills the whole world, end quote. I, I love that. Well, I'd like to point out three aspects here as we try to unpack this gift of, of Mary. And that the first is that it was insightful. That's, that's your, 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 your letter A in your notes if you're following along. Uh, kids, uh, I know y'all are awesome at filling in the blanks. This gift was insightful. And, it, and I say that because it pointed to Jesus' impending death on the cross and his burial and his resurrection, finally. And, and, and you know, it demonstrated that unlike most of his disciples, Mary had been truly listening to Jesus. Right? Jesus had talked about his upcoming death 
and his disciples hadn't gotten it. But here we see that Mary had. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, we read about Mary that she would sit at his feet and listen to his words. And and the reason I say that she got it, she understood that Jesus was about to go die. Uh, I don't know how much she understood. Did she understand that that was going to be redemptive? Did she know that was going to be on a on a cross, but she had listened and understood from Jesus that he was about to go and die, and this was part of his mission. And I say that because the precious nard ointment of this gift was used for important people as a burial spice. And and, and so Jesus made it clear as well in, in Mark 14, verse 8, And we see in in verse 7 of our text as well, um, uh, Jesus said, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body for burial beforehand. Kings were anointed, but Jesus says she is anointing him for burial. You know, if you want to see a model of a disciple, look, look to Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany is a hero for us. She's a a person for us to follow after in how we relate to Jesus Christ. Um, British pastor and evangelist G. Campbell Morgan said, I would rather be a successor to Mary of Bethany than to the whole crowd of the apostles. She, She got it when others didn't yet get it, and she loved with all of her heart. So her... Her gift was insightful, but it was also costly. That's, that's let her be here. It was costly. This was not the cheap stuff. This was costly. This, this was so costly that it hurts when you think about it a little bit here. First of all, let's just think about Mark mentioning that this perfume was in an alabaster flask. Okay, so alabaster is a fine-grained, translucent form of gypsum, and it's often carved into like ornaments. So, for instance, if you go and you, if you go to the British Museum in, in London and you look at King Tut's treasures, you'll see an, ornament, or an ornate alabaster perfume jar that came out of King Tut's tomb, right? The, 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 this little jar that she had was incredibly valuable, right? Might be like one of the greatest heirlooms you have you know, in your own home, uh, in, a, in a place that you would try to protect it and elevate it, right? But what was really valuable, what was inside, and that was what we read was pure nard, which is a root extract from India and is extremely costly. Now, we read about the value of this perfume from both Mark, who tells us it was worth 300 denarii, and Judas Iscariot, who, as he's criticizing the gift, the, the waste from his perspective, he says, why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii? So let's just think about that. What, what value is 300 denarii in today's money? Well, a denarii in Jesus's day was a working person's daily wage, okay, for one day. So we're talking about about a year's wages for a working person, right? So as I understand it, the Florida state, our our, our state's minimum wage is just ticked up to $12 an hour. So even if you were working in our culture, in our day, for minimum wage, this would equate to be about $30,000 worth of perfume, which is kind of unfathomable. You think about that, you're like, man, 
That is expensive stuff. And I imagine somewhere today, somebody has perfume worth 30 grand. I certainly don't. Um, 30 grand could, 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 uh, could buy a lot, right? I mean, what can you buy for 30 grand, right? A car, I mean, maybe a new one, maybe, I don't know anymore, but a, a pretty nice used car, right, for 30 grand. Um, that would maybe get us a year of college. Um, maybe, I don't know how much food, maybe not that much anymore, but, but still, 30 grand could help a lot of us. I doubt any of us has 30 grand just to, to blow. And yet, this is what Mary poured out uh, on, on Jesus. And, and so it's likely that this jar of perfume wasn't something that most people would have had sitting around. This was likely something very valuable that had been passed down uh, in her family. This was likely her inheritance, okay? Maybe her hope financially of a, of a future. If we don't know, probably we don't think Mary was married, all right? This might have even been a bride price possibility. So in pouring this out, she's really giving up her future, saying, hey, my heart, my future, it belongs to Jesus. And so this was a costly gift. And my mind goes back to a story in the Old Testament where you had David at the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, and the backstory is you had a plague, you had a big killer angel, right? David's interceding for his people. Uh, it was because of David's sin that God had sent this big killer angel, right? And this killer angel stops his killing at this threshing floor. And so David's job is to go and make a big sacrifice to God, right? And so, you know, he rides his chariot out there to, 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 to this threshing floor, and he, and he says to Aruna, hey, um, hey, we need this. We, we, we're going to, you know, we need, we need, uh, we, we, we got to, you know, we got to sacrifice a big uh, burnt offering to the Lord right now for the people. And Aruna's like, take it. Uh, in fact, you can have my oxen, and, and you can have the yokes for firewood. Let's, let's do this. And David says, absolutely not, I'll take it, but I, I will pay you because I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. You see this idea of value being tied to cost. And so this here from Mary, this gift was a worthy gift for the Messiah who had raised her brother from the dead and who was about to offer his life sacrificially on a cruel Roman cross to save her and, and us and all who will trust in him from every tribe, tongue, and nation from their sins. And so this lavish gift was actually most appropriate considering the recipient. And she understood that. She understood who Jesus was. This is the almighty, beautiful God of the universe who had lowered himself to become man with a mission that he was about to embark on, to, to die a horrific, shameful death to save us from our sins. So nothing is too valuable to spill out for him. Mary saw possessions as gifts from God, and now was the perfect moment to use her most valuable possession to honor him. What, 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 a, what we can learn from Mary of Bethany. Well, this gift was, was certainly um, um, insightful, and it was certainly costly, but it was also precious. It was a precious gift. And it was precious not just in monetary value, although it was, but, it, but, but sometimes the, the most beautiful gifts 
are handmade. I have a, a table in my living room that my dad made for me out of driftwood, and that is precious to me, right? Uh, I, I can't really put a value on it because that means a lot to me that he invested hours and hours and hours of his time using his hands. He's a retired surgeon, and so those are pretty valuable hands. He could do some pretty amazing things with those hands. And, and when he retired, he used those hands to build this coffee table uh, out of driftwood. And that means something to me. Well, this, this was a precious gift like that. Um, it wasn't made with hands, with her hands, but it was spilled out and, and administered with, with hands and even with hair. And it showed just love for Jesus. It showed devotion. So this was a precious gift. This, the next chapter, and we're going to read this, we're going to get to this in a, in, a, in a few weeks from now. In John chapter 13, Jesus was to teach his disciples about foot washing, humility, right? Loving one another by washing each other's feet. And imagine that. Um, that that's a pretty intimate thing, right? And, and uh, uh, maybe not the most tasteful thing we'd want to do if I said, okay, right now we're all going to pull our shoes off and wash each other's feet. There'd probably be a little hesitation in the room. You'd be like, shoot, man, we got, you're making me, what? You know, I'm supposed to be a spectator here, not a servant. What are you talking about? Well, we all have, you probably took a shower last night or this morning. I hope so. But they didn't have as many showers in Jesus' day. And when you went on a journey, you're wearing sandals in dust and dirt and manure on the trails, right? Feet were dirty, and, and now she is washing his feet with perfume in her hair. That was a precious gift. And you need to understand that in her culture, a woman's hair signified her glory. So there's a lot going on with this gift. And, and it showed, I believe, passion in worship. She's worshiping Jesus as she, as she spills out her most valuable possession, I'm sure, this perfume on his head and on his feet, and as she washes his feet with her hair, this is something she had thought about. There was, there was another woman that we read about in Luke earlier in Jesus' ministry in a different location up north who was a, a woman of ill repute who had come in and had done something similar. And I'm sure Mary had heard about this. Maybe she had observed it, I don't know, but, but she had heard about it, she had thought about it, and so this was, was, was something that, that was very intentional washing his feet with her hair. And it showed passion in worship. We can learn from Mary and think about this. Are we passionate in our worship? Whether our worship is singing or giving or service, uh, are we passionate in it? Pastor Kent Hughes wrote, she broke the container, that alabaster flask, the aroma of Christ, so honoring to him and so refreshing to others, does not occur when we give him half our heart or half our pocketbook or half our talents or half our ambitions or half our lives or half our boyfriend or half our girlfriend. It comes by giving him everything, End quote. So we've talked about the context and we've talked about the gift. Let's talk about the response. To this gift to Jesus, this lavish gift. Well, first of all, we see in verses four through six, Judas's response 
And then we'll look at Jesus' response. And you know what? Sometimes when we offer lavish, costly gifts to the Lord, sometimes it's not met with positive response from other people. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Um, I've experienced that in my life. People think, wait a minute, you're taking your family to a dangerous country in Central Asia? What's wrong with you? In fact, I've been told I had a lot wrong with me. Okay? Uh, It's not always uh, uh, accepted well. And so here we see Judas respond in verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, a couple things for us to quickly note here. And and the first is that ungrace often veils itself behind religiosity. So let's take heed. You, You can... You can put lipstick on a pig, right? Um, and, and, and so you've heard that expression, I'm sure. Sometimes we do that as Christians. We can take a spirit or a heart of ungrace and we can make it sound, we can kind of try to dress it up and make it sound good. Maybe even use a Bible verse, right? And so this could be somebody well-dressed in church, giving somebody, you know, kind of the stink eye, the critical look for being, quote, less modestly dressed than we think they should be. Maybe they're worshiping Jesus from the heart. Another thing that we can watch out for here is that one person's ungodly criticism swayed others to the wrong side. Now, we read in our text that it's just Judas. But if you, if you look at Matthew and Mark's version of the story, you read it says some of the disciples. So it started with Judas, right? We know Judas' heart was just wicked at this point. But... but His criticism caught root in some other hearts. And so some of the disciples criticized Mary for this gift, that they attacked the one in whom Christ was pleased. Of course, Judas did this by sounding pious, by sounding like he had a heart for the poor. But we know that wasn't true. It was a lie. He was a thief. Well, let's look at Jesus' response to this gift. In verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone. So you think he got a little fired up here? I think he got a little fired up here, right? I think probably a finger came out, and uh, I think he was in your face. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, you can read this at first blush and think, whoa, wait a minute, that seems insensitive to the poor, right? The poor you always have with you. I mean, it sounds kind of uncharacteristic even for Jesus, who we see had a heart for the poor. But you know, I don't believe Jesus is minimizing the importance of caring for the poor. He knew what was going on in Judas's heart, right? Um, But this is likely a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, which says, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Okay, but it doesn't stop there. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So God has a heart for the poor. And we see in Jesus' ministry, he had the same heart. In Matthew 6, 2, he didn't say if. He said, when you give 
to the poor. When you give to the poor. This is expected of his disciples to have an open hand to the poor, to give to the poor. To the rich young ruler, Jesus had said in Matthew 19, 21, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus honored the poor. He, he pointed to a poor widow who gave two small little coins, like less than pennies, but it was all she had. In Luke 21, verse three, he said to his disciples, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So Jesus cared for the poor. Don't, don't, don't miss that or mistake what he has to say here about that. But here in this moment, devotion to Jesus was even more important than even the greatest acts of charity. So time for such expressions of devotion and love while he was still here was running out. He said, you do not always have me. You see, for Jesus, the, the cross every day was getting taller. It loomed ahead, right? We're one week out from the cross, and so you can be sure he was thinking about this cup often. And the fact that his time was drawing short with his disciples, and he's saying, listen up, this is important, right? You don't have me for very much long, longer. We read in uh, about a few more words that he said in this moment in Mark 14, in verse 6, Jesus said to, her, said to them, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Verse 9, and he adds, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And that was a prophetic statement that rings true even this morning. We are honoring that prophecy. Mary's act of devotion encouraged Jesus. You ever known somebody who wore too much perfume? A little bit of a side story here. I, I, I won't mention her name, but I had a fellow high schooler who, student who wore too much perfume. And you'd probably go to jail for this today, but my teacher, Rocky Bike Christian School, happens to be the headmaster now, uh, made her go stand in the parking lot for an hour to fumigate, right? Uh, so, um, all right, so I say that, not to distract your mind, let's get back into the room here, okay, uh, with Jesus and, and Mary and everybody else. That was a lot of expensive perfume that just got poured out on Jesus' head, right, and on his feet, right? Um, I'm imagining that a week later, some of, that, some of that fragrance was still there. So I wonder if on the road to Golgotha, Straining under the way of the cross, a jeering mob, having been beaten almost to death with a scourging, the Roman scourging with the cat of nine tails, stumbling. I, I wonder if Jesus for a moment could still smell that perfume. Or as he hung on the cross, as people jeered uh, with the shame, the, the, not only the agony, but the shame of the cross, right? I, I wonder if he could still smell that perfume. And just the thought of Mary's devotion brought encouragement to his heart. You know, that's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. That the, the humility and love of God to choose to allow himself to be encouraged by our worship, right? You think about some of the offerings in the Old Testament that would 
would, would send an aroma up, a sweet uh, smell to the Lord. God, God doesn't need anything. God is self, God, God is completely satisfied in himself, and yet he would choose to attach such love towards us that we could encourage his heart. That's deep and powerful stuff. So Matthew Henry encourages us, Christ must be honored with all we have. And we must not think to keep back any part of the price. Do we give him the precious ointment of our best affections? Let him have them all, love him with all the heart. And as, as we land the plane this morning, I, I, I want you to know that's what he wants from you. Ultimately, is your, your heart. He, he is worthy. Jesus is worthy of our devotion in our lives in our hearts. Now, we're talking about a gift that Mary gave to Jesus, but let's just stop and remember for a moment the gift he gave to us. What, what did Jesus give to Mary and, and to us at the cross? He, he gave us his own lifeblood for us, spilled out for us. Drink this in remembrance of me, he said. So what do you treasure most what is your appropriate gift to him maybe it's your time you know our, our I, I i i'm so proud of our brothers in their yellow shirts here about to go and give a week of their time their, their energy their their love to help people in need um and the lady in blue as well um and any other any other sisters who are going along i don't mean to exclude you um, in fact, you know, a lot hinges on the, the joy and the logistical amazing abilities of Holly with these things. I've been with them on these trips. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your, your money. Maybe, maybe you've been holding back and you don't need to hold back. You need to give extravagantly to him. Maybe it's your career or your reputation. You know, he gives us things to give back to him. Maybe it's your future. As we think about our missions conference coming up next week, maybe young person, maybe older person looking at what am I supposed to do when I retire? Maybe he's calling you to give up your career, to move away from family and to go to the mission field. Maybe that's what he's calling you to do. Or maybe it's your present tense, not your future. Some of you, as Billy mentioned this morning, are suffering. And maybe you're being called right now to honor him in your suffering. I, I tend to whine a little too much when I'm suffering. Uh, I don't like suffering. But maybe he's calling you to say, you know what, God, um, you're worthy of my worship even in this suffering. And I, I love you. Even though it doesn't make sense to me why I have to suffer like this, even though I, I, I don't understand, you are still worthy, and so I worship you in my suffering. And you might think no one will know. Well, you know what? He will know. And frankly, I believe that even the spiritual beings who are watching us to see, is he worthy to us? I think it makes an impact. Is there anything more important to you than Christ? Is there anything that he would ask you to pour out on his head and his feet saying, you are worthy? Jesus is honored 
when we give him our hearts, when we give him our all. Because that's what he wants, is our hearts. Paul, Paul expresses this in Philippians 3, this desire to give to Christ, to, to treasure Christ. He, he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And he's talking about his career here and his education and his pedigree and his, his, uh, the esteem that people held him in. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. May that be true of us. Let's, let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for this beautiful story. I'm, I'm moved by the faith and the devotion and the wisdom of, of Mary, giving this most appropriate gift at the most appropriate time. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to follow after her lead in the way that we relate to you. Thank you for giving us the most precious gift we could ever receive, the, the gift of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus who, who, who died on the cross for us and for all who call in his name in faith. We pray in his name. Amen.